The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's going on? Hey, thanks so much for joining me today on The Shaleen Show. If you are the type of individual who is health conscious but also likes to enjoy the occasional bottle of wine or the occasional adult beverage, you're going to want to listen to today's episode. I mean, frankly, if you're not someone who's health conscious, why aren't you? And if you are someone who drinks on on the occasion or on the regular, again, this is a really super important episode to listen to. Listen, we know that wine is toxic. We know that there are people who just don't do well with alcohol, maybe because they are compulsive or addictive or just because it doesn't work well, like you feel super hungover the next day. And today, I've invited a guest on my show to break all of that down for us, like what's going on in our bodies? Why does it make us feel like crap sometimes? What do we need to know about wine that's here in the United States versus wine that's in Canada or European countries? What do we need to understand about alcohol? If you're just going to have, you know, a cocktail at the bar, what is it you're actually putting in your body? We'll also dig into how confusing the way wines are labeled versus foods. Like all natural for food means something completely different when we say all natural for wines, and it can be confusing. So in this episode, we're going to break all of that down. My guest today is Todd White. He's the founder of Dry Farm Wines, but I think you're going to be pretty surprised about what he has to say about alcohol consumption and wine in general. He's not just the founder of Dry Farm Wines. He's a biohacker. In fact, that's kind of like how we got into this to begin with. He's someone who believes very much in being conscientious about your consumption. He's an educator, a speaker, a biohacker, and a remarkable entrepreneur. Without further ado, Todd White. Todd, thank you so much for joining us here again. It's time because I think so many people are really confused about alcohol consumption and wine. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting marketing tactics around organic and all natural. And you're the expert. So I thought, who better to bring on the show to talk about this? The thing that strikes me today, really, and we were talking about this just before we came on the show, is the toxicity of alcohol. I'm going to so I really want to talk a lot about that. Mm. And just having come off a dry January, it wasn't dry for me, but <laughs> you know, just having but we saw an unprecedented amount of people pause their drinking in January, unlike any year before, and we have a whole theory about why that happened. Mm. They've now returned, but and it wasn't like gigantic, but it was unprecedented for us, you know, because we're a wine club and so people paused their subscription or pushed it to the next month. Sure. Not I mean like Thousands of people did, and it was more than it ever happened before. So I, I do, as we were talking about in the beginning, I do yeah. want to talk about alcohol and its toxicity. But as it relates to organic, wine is very confusing if you care about your health. Mm-hmm. It's not confusing if you're just going in the store and buying it. But so let me clear up a couple of confusing terms to people. Okay. One, I drink and sell what are called natural wines. Natural wine is a very confusing term to consumers because they say, well, aren't all wines natural? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, most are not. 
for the reasons that I'm going to describe for you. And then there's the organic wine category. Mm-hmm. So organic wines simply mean that the fruit was farmed organically. It doesn't mean the wine is natural. And again, we'll, we'll talk about what natural wine means. So if you go in the store and it says organic wine, that doesn't mean that it's natural. It just means it was grown organically. Now, all natural wines are always grown organically or biodynamically, but not all organic wines are natural. So then the term natural trumps the term organic. I would assume that's what you're saying. It does because now this is further confusing because in the food space, natural is often used to describe something that is not really organic or even healthy. It's just a marketing term. That's the answer to this. Okay, so this is the part I think that really confuses people because we've learned this clever technique when it comes to the marketing of food. But what you're sharing with me, if I hear you correctly, is that the term natural as it pertains to alcohol has a different standard. As it pertains to wine. As it pertains to wine. Natural wines is a defined category that includes always organic or biodynamic farming and two other attributes that I'll describe for you in a moment. So Mm -hmm. that's just sort of the kind of part. Then you've got this term sustainably farmed. Yeah. These are people who want you to believe that they're organically farming, but they're not, right? And so you see sustainable farming, right? That's just code word for I use chemicals when I want to. Mm. Okay. Or when I need to is what they would tell you. Okay. So you've got organic, sustainable, natural. It's all very confusing. But let's start back at the beginning about why this is important and how it happened, right? Because this all comes back to money and greed. Yes. This is what happened in our food supply, and this is what's happened in the wine supply. Now, what I mean by that is that for the last 20 or 30 years, the industry's been rolled up or consolidated with Wall Street money. And so, meaning that a handful of characters make most of the wine that you see in the store when you go in. Now, these multi-billion dollar marketing conglomerates, the top three of these marketing manufacturing wine conglomerates make 52% of all U.S. wines. And the top 30 companies make over 70% of U.S. wines. Now, I'll tell you why that's important. It's important because they're not trying to make wine healthier or better. They're trying to make it cheaper and faster. Of course. Well, the cheaper and faster part comes in with a lot of chemical farming, what we call industrial farming. And by the way, it's fair to note, because I'm going to throw a whole lot of information on you, it's fair to note that everything I'm going to tell you, including the industry size I just pointed to and the three main players and the top 30 players, all this information is on the Internet. Mm Mm-hmm. So you don't have to believe me. You can verify anything you want. This is not marketing speak. This is factual. It's not my opinion. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you go into the grocery store and you see rows and rows and hundreds or thousands of bottles, right, most of those wines are made by just a handful of companies. Now, they don't want you to know that. So they hide behind thousands of brands and labels with farmhouses on them or animals or 
chateaus to have you believe that you're drinking from some family farm when in fact most of these wines are made in gigantic wine manufacturing plants in central california Hmm. you can see pictures of them if you google online there are tanks wine tanks for as far as you can see these are football multiple football filled big factories all right now in order to make wine like that cheaper and faster you have to use chemicals and additives Mm-hmm. And this is where part of the problem comes in. So not only do we have chemical farming, but there are 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. 76 additives that they can put in the wine, and do those appear on the label? Well, that's another problem. See, there's no contents labeling on wine because the wine industry has spent millions of dollars in lobbying money in Washington, D.C. with their friends at the government to keep contents labeling and nutritional information off of wine. So if you care about sugar, you can't see how much sugar is in your wine. And if you care about additives like dimethyl bicarbonate, which is highly toxic and is used to treat tens of millions of gallons of wine a year, right? it's used to treat the single most common bacterial fault in wine known as Brettanomyces. It's a highly toxic chemical. And you can't see if it's in your wine or not because... There's no contents label on the bottle. Wine is the largest food product without a contents label and no nutritional information. That's just, it's shocking. None of this is an accident, of course. Right. The government and the wine industry and the alcohol industry, in addition to wine, have been in collusion with the government since prohibition in the 1940s, early 1940s. The laws remain today practically unchanged since that time including the grotesquely unconstitutional three-tier distribution system, which is how you get wine in the store in the first place. So this, this whole monopoly is controlled by a handful of people about how wine gets distributed into the store in the first place. Now, we only sell wine direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. We don't sell to restaurants or retailers. If we did, we'd have to sell through what's known as the three-tier system driving your prices up ultimately for quality products. So here's how this works. Each state controls how wine gets in your store. Okay. You are required to sell to a distributor who's approved and licensed in that state who then sells to a wholesaler. The wholesaler then sells to a retailer, and the retailer then sells to you. And there's markup all along the way. Of course. And this is mandated under federal law. (laughs) This originally, as I mentioned, these laws go back to the 19, early 1940s. And this originally had great intent because at the time, alcohol during Prohibition was controlled by organized crime. And so these laws, known as the three-tier Tidehouse rules, were put in place to prohibit organized crime from controlling alcohol distribution in the United States. But that problem has long, long passed. Right. right. What it's used today is to block competition, drive up prices, and give consumers less choice. So that's part of the money and, and legal aspects of it, that what's wrong. And then, so these 76 additives, it's fair to note that some of them are, are actually natural. Okay. But some of them very, are very toxic. The problem is you don't have the choice as to whether to drink them or not. Because you don't know if they're in your wine. Okay, we're going to take a break from the interview for just a moment to address the thing that's probably on your mind right now, which is 
where do I find natural wines? Number one. Number two, where do I find natural wines that have been independently tested for purity that are also sugar-free because we know that sugar is what leads to inflammation, which leads to almost 10 of the most common preventable deaths. How do we find wine that has been organically grown that doesn't include all of these additives that just for many of us don't work well? If we're going to drink wine (laughs) or champagne for that matter, how do we find pure, natural wines that are not loaded with sugar, that don't have all these additives and sulfates, etc., and also don't cost us an arm and a leg, well, that's what Todd's company does. But I wanted to save you some time and some money, assuming you're like me, that when I'm listening to a podcast and I'm like, okay, I have to look into this, I'll just open up a tab on my Google while I'm listening to the podcast. And let me just tell you, if you do that and go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash Shaleen, For a penny, you're going to get an extra bottle. Hold up. Here's my pro tip. If you're not sure, start with a starter box. It's it's three bottles of wine. You get to select whether they're red or white or sparkling or a rosé. You can decide whether they're champagnes, etc. But remember that they're going to curate three bottles. They're not from one particular farm. So if you don't love them or if you love one of them and not the other two, Their customer service is phenomenal. Like if you're not 100% satisfied, they'll work with you. They'll swap out bottles or they'll give you a 100% money back guarantee if you're not completely satisfied. It's no different from going to a local wine store. You're going to try a variety of wines until you fall in love with one or two or three or whatever it is that you love, except you don't have to go to the store. You can just send them an email. They can curate for you the exact grouping of wines or champagnes or rosés that you love, that you love from those that they have curated. But there is a distinct difference when you taste a pure natural wine. It tastes clean. It's hard to describe. And it's the reason why you won't have a hangover the next day. Mark my words, you will not have a hangover the next day. It's a different experience, different taste. I just want to tell you that to be completely upfront so that you know what to expect if you are going to try this. It is a membership program. But if it's not for you, just cancel. I mean, if you're going to drink alcohol, I would like to suggest you try a healthier alternative, one that's not going to make you look all inflamed because it's loaded with sulfates and additives and preservatives and sugar. I hate to say this, please don't take this the wrong way, but you can kind of tell when you meet someone who's a very heavy wine drinker, their face is puffy. I'm sure you've heard the term before, wine body, where Someone starts to look very kind of apple-shaped, start carrying all their weight around the midsection. That's a thing, but that's not from the wine. That's from the sugar. That's from the toxins. That's from the additives and all of the things that your body knows, like, wait, this is toxic for me. This is too much sugar. This is too much alcohol. The wines that are selected by Dry Farms are less than one gram of sugar. They're zero carbs. They are low in calorie. They're lower in alcohol. And they do not include the 76 FDA approved additives that are in most of the wines you find here domestically. All right. I'm going to leave that decisions up to you. But I do want to make sure if you want to try it, that you get that extra bottle of wine by going to dryfarmwines.com forward slash Shaleen. That extra bottle just cost you a penny. Back to the interview. Is this why many people, myself included, will come or have this experience where you could have one glass of wine and for myself, speaking from my own personal experience, feel the next day like someone roofied you and just feel like sick and super hungover from like one glass of wine, where in other instances, you might be able to 
have no impact, but you just, you can feel really, really sick from wine. It's one of the reasons why I was never a wine drinker. Here's the thing. We don't know for sure because there's no studies, no control group, like with a lot of nutrition, we don't have any idea what's actually making you feel bad in wine. Here's what we do know. When you drink natural wine, you don't feel that way. Right. Right. But there's any number of variables. It could be excess sulfites. It could be biogenetic amines, which are very high in commercial wine, like histamine and tyramine. Mm. It could be the use of GMO lab culture yeast that are found in commercial wine. It could be sugar. It could be these toxins, we don't know. Here's what we know is when you remove all that, and also it's fair to note, drink lower alcohol wines. We'll talk about that in a moment. Because alcohol, when we get to that, but, but before we go to alcohol, let's talk about what a natural wine is so yes. we can clear that up. So natural wines are always organically farmed or biodynamic. Biodynamic farming is a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. They are always fermented. This is a little confusing. This is the most confusing one. They're always fermented with wild indigenous native yeast. Commercial wines, like you find in the store, you won't find natural wines in the store. You can't find natural wines in, like if we go to BevMo or... No. no. Really? No. This is news to me. Okay, I'm shook. No. You can buy natural wines in certain markets, like New York. Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago. There's one, I live in Miami Beach. There is one natural wine bar here and two, three natural wine restaurants. And Miami is the fastest growing city in the United States right now. Right. And so there are three restaurants that sell natural wine and there's one natural wine bar. And the fastest growing city in the United States. So if you live in Denver or Wichita or Houston or Atlanta, you're not going to find natural wines, right? And so, and I'll tell you how to find them. You don't buy them from us. This is not about me selling you wine. This is about educating you about why you should drink natural wines, lower alcohol wines, sugar-free wines, why all these things are important. If you get natural wine somewhere else, that's fine. There are two ways for you to find natural wine if it's in your market. You can do a Google search for it. Or you can download a smart app on your phone called Raisin, like the dried grape. And it is the, it's based in Europe. It's not super active in the United States, but it is active in key markets like New York or San Francisco or Los Angeles. And so if you live in those places, you can download this app and you can find natural wine retailers. Like there are two in San Francisco. Okay. There are probably a dozen in New York. If you're in London or Paris, they're, you know, they're everywhere. Does the app also show you restaurants that offer It will show wines? you restaurants that feature natural wines. But natural wine makes up less than one-tenth of one percent of all worldwide wine. So it's really, really small, and we're the largest buyer and reseller of natural wines in the world. So it's just a very difficult to find. You certainly won't find it in your grocery store. And if you go into a wine retailer, many of them don't even know what it is. If you ask wine professionals, many of them won't even know what it is. Three years ago, no one knew. Today, because I've told a few million people about it, and there has been a lot, because they're healthier, and you experience far far fewer, if any, negative remnants or side effects from them, they have become increasingly popular. I know they're less popular here in the United States. Are they more so popular in European countries? Yes, but particularly France. Because this was, France is sort of the birthplace of this movement. Now, wine the clot back 
50 years ago, all wines were natural, right? A hundred years ago, every wine in the planet was natural, right? These technical interventions came in the last 50 years. Like irrigation is a technical intervention. The name of my company, Dry Farm Wines, we don't allow our grapes to be irrigated. And so more than 99% of grapes in the United States, we don't sell domestic wine because there are no wines here that meet our criteria. We have very stringent health criteria. We'll talk about that in a moment. If you were to find a company, obviously domestically, that did, would you carry that wine? We would. The problem is they just don't qualify for a whole bunch of reasons we can talk about later. Let's get back to the three cornerstones of natural wine. Mm -hmm. Organic farming, biodynamic, native yeast fermentation. So at the time of harvest, every grape berry in the world has a white waxy film on the skin. Mm -hmm. You can scrape it off with your finger now. It looks like a, a very, very thin coat of white wax. Like if you were to rub off some wax paper onto it, that's what it looks like. And that's actually yeast. And that yeast was collected through the air naturally and natively from the vineyard where the fruit was grown. That yeast is what natural wine growers use to ferment the yeast, to ferment the grapes in what's called a spontaneous fermentation. We're going to get back to that in a moment, what that means. But you see, this yeast is wild. It's unstable. You can't make wine in very large quantities with it. It's just very, it requires a lot of coddling. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, commercial winemakers, conventional winemakers, everybody who's not natural, they don't ferment with it. They kill it, and then they inoculate it with a GMO, an altered yeast that's been grown in a lab that is altered to be sturdy. You can buy it in various flavor profiles. It will withstand a higher alcohol environment. And so these yeasts are modified to be easy to work with. So there's not a certification yet for natural wines. France will be the first country to certify natural wines next year. But Dry Farm Wines has a certification process, a certification we stand behind. I think there's this misconception that Dry Farm Wines is, in fact, a winery that produces one type of wine, one flavor profile. Because I'll hear from people sometimes that'll say, oh, I tried Dry Farms once and it uh, I didn't care for the taste. I'm, I'm like, well, you tried one wine then, likely. So can you clear up exactly when you say a Dry Farm wine, what do you mean by that? We don't make wine. We curate wines. We select wines from small family farms who meet all of our criteria, which is far and above just being natural, and I'll tell you what they are in a moment. So we select these wines that meet our criteria. Of the wines that we taste and test, only 27% of them are selected for our portfolio. It's rare to hear that people don't like the taste of our wines. We believe that they taste better, but if that happens, the good news is we have a 100%, no question asked, 100% happiness promise. Any wine you don't like will replace a refund to you immediately. Not liking wine is of zero financial risk to you with us. All it requires is a text, an email, a telephone call, or a, a pigeon to let us know. <laughs> and we will immediately, without any further questions, either fully refund you for that bottle of wine or send a replacement bottle. 
at our cost. So what is the dry farm wine criteria for your selections? A, it's got to be natural wine, so it has to meet the natural wine criteria. Number two, sugar-free. Mm-hmm. So not all natural wines are sugar-free. The only way to know if a wine is sugar-free is to lab test it. Lower alcohol. We don't sell wines over 12.5% by volume and as low as 6%. Mm-hmm. It's been a cornerstone of our brand from the beginning that people should be drinking less alcohol. Yeah, that seems like a real surprising contradiction that someone who owns a wine company would be a proponent of conscientious consumption. Speak to that, if you will, because I know you're a very health-conscious individual. Yeah, I mean, it's how I got in the business because I was already a biohacker and, you know, was keto and our whole company is dedicated to this way of life around consciousness, meditation, fasting, low or slow carb, natural foods, whole foods. So that's just our lifestyle, right? And that's how we got in this business. Actually, it was kind of an accidental business. I was looking for a healthier way to drink wine. There's a whole bunch of problems with alcohol and drinking. And some people shouldn't drink at all. By that, do you mean people who have a problem with alcohol in general? And addictive behaviors Mm. and so on and so forth. Alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin, and it ruins millions of lives a year. And nobody expects me to say that because they think I'm here to sell wine. And I'm not selling wine. What I'm doing is educating you on how to think about drinking, right? And if you're going to drink, if you choose to drink, (laughs) I love wine. And so I've made a decision to drink it, and I've made a decision to drink it in the healthiest possible way. That's what I'm selling Mm -hmm. is education around conscious consumption. If you're drinking to check out instead of tap in, then I think you should think about your drinking habits. For me, I drink natural wines, which have a spiritual quality for me to tap in. I don't want to check out. If, if you're blocking out, you're checking out. And there's plenty of evidence on either side of the coin to suggest that there are, are health benefits to drinking and that there are unhealthy consequences from drinking. You got studies on ProMed to support both topics, so we don't need to debate that. You've got a lot of cofactors. You know, people who drink natural wine tend to exercise more. People who drink natural wine also eat organic food products and go to farmer's markets and probably walk a lot, right? Because that's who they are. You know, there's a study just came out. It was a big article in the New York Times that people who exercise drink more. I'll tell you the correlation there for me is because people who exercise want to feel better and people who drink like feeling better from drinking, right? So he's like, of course, people who exercise drink more. That's that. So, I, I've got to take a look at that study. That that's pretty surprising to me. I, I look it up in the but New York Times. I it's like your hypothesis. A few weeks ago. Again, this is a lifestyle choice, and if you're going to drink, I think you should drink natural wine, low alcohol, sugar free. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that. There's not. You don't have a lot of other choices. Your other choices are factory products, right? Beer, you know, seltzers. Beer's too high in maltose sugar, makes you fat. Sorry, just does. Plenty of evidence for that. Maltose sugar is a particularly glycemic type of sugar. All sugars will create a glycemic response that arise in your blood sugar and then, you know, flooding your bloodstream with insulin from your pancreas in order to level off your most chronic illness today is due to the hyperproduction of insulin. I choose not to drink sugar. 
sure. or eat it either uh, on ra- very rare occasions. And again, just to clarify, there is no labeling on conventional wines for sugar content or carb content. Nothing, zero, anything on any bottle and is not required. That's not an accident. Again, the industry, in collusion with the government, Washington, keeps it that way. The industry wants to keep you in the dark. It's just built that way. And it's not likely to change. There's just no movement for it. Yeah. You know, people just, most people, you know, I'm giving you another example. Alcohol stated on a wine bottle is not required to be accurate by law. Now, most people don't even pay any attention. They don't pay any attention whether it's 12% alcohol or 16%. The amount, I'll tell you, they should care for the reasons I just described to you. Alcohol is poisonous. They should care. Mm -hmm. But most people don't notice. But the point is, if they did look, the amount of alcohol stated, I say stated, on the wine label, by law, is not required to be accurate. What in the what? This is just crazy. I mean, the more I I learn about our government and the collusion that's happening, it's just shocking. This is is across all industries. It's just wine, until I came along and told a few million people, who have told a few million other people, and I discovered all this by accident. I was a biohacker and a health and fitness enthusiast mm-hmm. for my whole life. And I lived in the heart of the Napa Valley, which is the most important wine appellation in North America and one of the most important in the world. And people there don't talk about it. None of this is talked about. You know, and to play devil's advocate, in that natural wines are, well, at least the dry farm natural wines are lower in alcohol content. What about that person who's listening going, well, then does that mean I have to drink twice as much to feel what it is I want to feel? You'll get your buzz on just fine. (laughs) In fact, it's more gentle and it's a lot more lovely because it's just a much slower kind of gentle, like a symphony. It's just a more gentle sort of lift and rise. And actually, because of the gut-friendly and other bacteria that are found in wine, Natural wines, because they haven't been sterilized with sulfur dioxide. Mm. See, all conventional wines have been sterilized and preserved. Natural wines have not. They're still living. They taste like they're alive, right? And, and the reason for this, the quality of the wine, assuming that it's additive-free and that you know it doesn't contain any of these po- poisons, the quality of a wine is going to be determined by the quality and character of the grape, the fruit that because that's mainly what's in it, absent putting out other things in it, as conventional wines do. But natural wines are also inexpensive. I mean, our wine, we all sells for the same price. is $25 a bottle. For a fine wine, handcrafted wine, that's super affordable. Mm-hmm. Now, I realize for many people that's a special occasion wine, and for some people it's not. But for a handcrafted fine wine product, that's very reasonable in price. One of the questions is about champagne. I thought champagne was all champagne came from a certain region of France. Therefore, if I'm drinking champagne, am I drinking wines that meet the French standard of alcohol consumption? Or do I need to be worried about that here? You are correct. So the category is sparkling wines. Champagne is grown in the champagne region. It is a sparkling wine for which is grown in Champagne. There are three or four, I don't remember, I think it's three natural wine producers who make sparkling wine in Champagne, and we sell those. Mm -hmm. There are other wines 
sparkling wines made in the same style. So there's a number of styles for making natural wine. But the Brut style, the one that's made in Champagne, there are other regions in France and Italy and other places around the world that produce sparkling wines and in California. They don't meet our criteria, but there are other regions who produce a champagne-like sparkling wine using the same methodology. And then there are other sparkling wines that don't use that methodology, right, that make sparkling wines in different ways. It results in a different texture of the bubble, more or less, and a different brightness of it. But to answer your question, the problem with champagnes is they oftentimes contain sugar, and, and there are very few natural wine producers in the champagne region. Mm. Which is healthier, red versus white? There's a fair amount of debate about that as well when we get down to real hard science. But that being said, the conventional thinking is that red wines are healthier because they contain about four times as many polyphenols, flavonoids, and flavonoids. And the most famous of these polyphenols is called resveratrol. Mm -hmm. It's been shown to extend lifespan in mice in laboratories. There's, <laughs> again, there's debatable science on whether or not it actually does anything in humans and how much of it you'd actually have to, to consume to get any benefit. Mm -hmm. But these polyphenols, they're around 200 or ish in white wines. They're over 800 in red wines. That makes sense. And so red wines are typically thought to be healthier for that reason. And these compounds have been shown or suggested to have cardiovascular and some neurological benefit. For that reason, red wines are generally considered healthier. But when you get down to hardcore science on it, that's not really, nobody can really prove that. Now, I know that some people are really particular about aged wines. So can you speak to that a little bit? Natural wines typically are not aged. Most people don't age wine. I'm saying most, the vast majority of people. 90% of wines purchased are drank within 24 hours of the time they were bought. Aging wine requires preserving the wine. Natural wines don't contain any preservatives. So does that mean a natural wine, if I were to keep a bottle of natural wine myself for, say, five years? Five years, you'd be fine. So what, what are we talking about when we're saying, like... 15, 20 years? No, 10, probably not. I see. It depends upon the sulfite content. So sulfur is either naturally occurring or it's added. In conventional wines, it's added. In natural wines, it's, it's naturally occurring. So any fermented food, uh, fermented beverage, anything that's fermented contains naturally occurring sulfites. Let's be clear, sulfites are not dangerous unless you have a specific allergy to them, in which ah. case you'd probably be carrying a EpiPen in your pocket. Okay, so if someone does have a sulfite allergy. We do lab testing on all of our wines for a whole bunch of criteria, among them being sulfites. Tell you kind of what the sulfite measurement is. In the United States, uh, the limit of sulfites in wine can be up to 350 parts per million. This is how it's measured. At Dry Farm Wines, we don't allow wines containing more than 70 parts because that is what we believe is the upper limit of naturally occurring. But our average uh, wine contains 39 parts per million. That's all naturally occurring, of course. Is there a, a detectable 
difference in the flavor profile of a natural wine versus one that is a not? Considerable. A considerable difference for a whole bunch of reasons. So particularly with our wines. Because we only sell lower alcohol wines, and not all natural wines are lower in alcohol, and because we sell sugar-free wines, and not all natural wines are sugar-free, because the wine has not been sterilized and preserved, it's still living. And so it has energy to it in a way that conventional wines, which have been sterilized, do not. And then in addition to that, because it's lower in alcohol, it tastes a lot lighter. It's fresher. Alcohol adds density to wine. And the American wine market, particularly those people who drink big wines and, you know, expensive wines. What does big wines mean? Uh, big wines are like, you know, big Cabernets. Dense, big okay. wines that, you know, just cover your whole okay. palate with, like, just boom. What's happening there? Why do those taste different? There are two primary reasons why those wines taste different than our wines. One, they're much higher in alcohol. And so alcohol adds density. Number two, they have been through a manipulation known as extraction. And so what extraction means is that, and this is relative to red wines. So what extraction means is that the maceration period, the time in which the skins and the juice were in contact, is extended for several reasons. When you make white wine, you make it from free-run juice. So here's what that means. No skin contact. You put the berries and the stems and everything in a big press, and you press the, the juice from the berries, and that pressed juice runs into a tank. And you ferment, and you start your fermentation with just this free-run juice, no skin contact. Red wines are, again, the same process that the fruit is put into a press press pushes the juice into a tank and then you move the skins and the seeds and the stems that were left over from the press and you put those in the tank with the wine. I just have to wonder how many people right now are picturing Lucille Ball and Ethel in that tub. Right. Well, well that's a, that's a largely ceremonial. Okay. So I digress. So anyway, then this maceration period, or what leads to extraction, maceration is the time that you leave the skins, seeds, and stems in red wine. It's the, the number of days or weeks that you leave the skins in the fermentation. This extraction, when it's left in longer, makes wine darker. And Americans believe the darker mm -hmm. a red wine is higher quality. Not true, but that's a widely held belief. It's darker. It has a bigger tannin structure, which makes it bolder and bigger. And okay. the other thing that makes these wines bigger and richer is that they were higher in sugar at the time of harvest. How is it possible that a wine or champagne, for that matter, can be low in sugar or even sugar-free? Is there a process that they have to go through? Here's how it works. Champagnes are different. Sparkling wines are different because there's a secondary fermentation that happens with a, to make a sparkling wine, you first have a still wine and then you ferment it again. And that the CO2 that results from that fermentation is captured in the bottle and that's what makes it sparkling. So are sparkling wines also, dry farm wines, sparkling wines and champagnes, are they also sugar-free yes, or nearly sugar-free? they sugar -free? are. They are. And then we have all kinds of sparkling wines, sparkling rosés, 
sparkling whites, sparkling reds, Lambruscos. There are all kinds of different sparkling wines, including those that are made in Champagne. But back to the sugar question. This gets back to fermentation, and this is true for both red and white. The only difference in red and white is that red gets the skin, seeds, and stems added to the tank during fermentation. But here's how you make wine. Remember, we talked about a spontaneous fermentation from native yeast. See, because in natural wine, well, in any grape, everything needed to make wine is already present in and on the grape because there's yeast on every grape. So that's the reason we call it a spontaneous fermentation with natural wine because you press the juice into the tank. Along with it goes the yeast, comes off the skin, and... Once it reaches the temperature that will activate the yeast, it will be a spontaneous fermentation because everything required to make wine is already included in and on the grape, which is sugar and yeast. So here's how wine is made. You have a fermentation. Whether you create or whether it's spontaneous in natural wines, you inoculate it in conventional wines, but in the yeast activates and it starts to eat the sugar. It's like a little Pac-Man. When yeast eats the sugar, the byproduct of that is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. How you get a sugar-free wine is if the winemaker allows the yeast to eat all of the available sugar. Uh, remember, I said not all natural wines are sugar-free. Ours are. If the winemaker, as a matter of style, allows the fermentation to complete, meaning the yeast eats all all available sugar. The yeast will then die. The fermentation at that point is complete and total, and that wine will be sugar-free because the yeast ate it all. Now, what happens in wine that's not sugar-free is that they break the fermentation process intentionally. When they see the amount of sugar they want to leave behind in the wine, they break off the ferment. With conventional wines, they dump sulfur dioxide into it, which kills the yeast. Leaving exactly sense. in the industry is called RS or residual sugar. So sugar is not added to wine. How sugar gets in wine is the winemaker, as a matter of his style, his or her style, breaks the fermentation, leaving the desired amount of sugar behind in the wine. It's a membership-based model. Are there certain states that you are prohibited from shipping to? And if so, what, what are those, if you don't mind? There are five, Mississippi, Missouri, Alabama, Kentucky, and Utah. How about Michigan? Is, is Michigan one that you are shipping to? Michigan is in and out, but I think it's back on again. So I'm, nice. I'm not, there's been controversy there. It was turned okay. off. I think it's turned back on now. And how about Canada? Okay. No, we don't ship yet to Canada. The Canadian alcohol laws are by providence. It's not super simple. The demand for what we do has been extraordinarily high in the United States, and so we just really haven't had time. And we also have a supply issue because there's very little natural wine in the world. And so when you combine the pandemic, shipping constraints, the finite amount of global supply of this wine, you know, we barely get enough wine as it is to satisfy our customers. Wow, that's not, not a bad problem to have. For those folks who do track their macros and love the fact that you have a wine option for them or champagne option for them that is sugar-free and zero or less than one carb, I believe, what about the calories? Most of them are sub-90 calories per serving. 
they're going to be 75 to 90 calories in the spot testing that we've done. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another reason that we don't think a lot about that because, and you know, from our point of view, I don't think about calories. What I think about is controlling my blood sugar. What I think about is glycemic response. What I'm trying to control is, is glycemic my body's glycemic response to food or beverage. I'm trying to maintain a steady to low blood glucose at all times. That's my goal. Metabolic health. I think about metabolic health and metabolic flexibility. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. think about calories at all. And what should we know if when we go to the bar, we're thinking, okay, I can't find a natural wine, so I'll do the next best thing. I'll order a clear alcohol. I'll order a vodka tonic or I'll order a, I don't know, a tequila with lime juice. And this way I'll be able to keep my sugar content low. I don't disagree with this point of view. So in the biohacking community, which just to define biohacking, the definition of that, the most common biohack is a diet. But the definition of biohacking is the way we alter our behavior to positively influence our biological or neurological outcome. Altering our behavior in a diet is a biohack. You know, supplements, brain waves, electro, blah, blah. There's lots of biohacks. But in the biohacking movement, it's a very commonly held belief that you should drink tequila, more so than vodka, because vodka is often derived from grains or potatoes, and tequila is derived from this plant, and as long as it's clear. If it's brown, that's different. Brown liquors contain sugars and other things that are not healthy. But inside the biohacking movement, tequila is sort of the spirit of choice. My problem with it, and the reason I don't recommend it or drink it, is because it's too high in alcohol. So it's 45% alcohol, it's 45% ethyl alcohol versus the 10% wines that I drink. I prefer the taste and the effect, because I drink about a bottle a day, I prefer the, the taste and the effect of a 9 to 11 or 12% alcohol. If I'm consuming tequila, it's 45% by volume. It's both a health and lifestyle goal, and I'm aging, I'm 61. So, Well, you look amazing, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's very kind. But So I'm trying to drink less alcohol. Like I'm not trying to consume more or less calories, but I am trying to drink less alcohol. So then, you know, if I'm playing devil's advocate, but I'm going to have one shot or one drink, if you will, versus having to drink a whole bottle. You know what? That's a great question. For most people, alcohol is what I call a domino drug. It means the more you drink, or the higher concentration of alcohol that you get early, the more likely you are to drink more. <laughs> True. I don't know if that's your experience, but it's certainly been my experience. The more I yeah, drink, the more likely I am to drink more. And the more I drink earlier, the faster I'll drink it. This domino drug effect, the higher the alcohol content, the more slippery the slope. Yeah. This is a drug. Yeah. You know what I mean? I give a lot of intentional thought about how to maximize the pleasure from this drug and minimizing the risk. Well, and let's talk about the risk then, you know, and I'm not trying to at all say like, don't drink tequila, don't drink vodka. I'm, I'm just like trying to help my listener understand how to evaluate their own risks, right? Like if I'm going to do this, which is the lesser of the two evils? You've said yourself that alcohol is in fact toxic. So if I'm choosing like, oh, okay, just learn that most biohackers drink tequila, then I'm No, I'm I didn't good. say most biohackers drink tequila. I said, Sorry. I said among the spirits, spirits of choice, but 
But if they're made here in the United States, aren't we looking at the very same risks where we we don't actually know what is in the bottle? Well, that's true. And especially these ready-made mix, right? Where you're getting like the the skinny margarita or full of all kinds of additives, and there is many of those depending upon what's in it or how it's made. Some of those are required because they go through a different labeling process. So spirits and wine are controlled. The label is controlled by the TTB, but for other products like kombuchas or beer or seltzers that labeling is controlled by the fda and that's a different set of requirements so your premixes usually have the ingredients listed on the bottle well that's interesting to know well this has been phenomenally informative i really appreciate your honest approach to it and being very transparent about the fact that yeah it is a toxin we do need to consume less alcohol it's about evaluating risk right like understanding like Gosh, there's a, you can drive yourself crazy looking at all the different ways that we can live longer and enjoy life. You can drive yourself crazy. And I think it's really important, though, that people understand there is a way to still consume alcohol that's much healthier. I think in closing, it, it, the other thing that comes to mind, I was just talking with Mark Sisson on the phone. Mark lives in Miami and is a longtime friend and has endorsed our wine for years. And, and I was talking with Mark on the phone last week about longevity. You know, we want to have pleasures in our life. And, and Mark made a great point. Now, he's the godfather of paleo. He's, you know, he's a, probably the most well-respected Internet health authority that has been publishing Mark's Daily Apple forever. He's super credible. He said, look, he's 65 or 66. He looks great. And he said, you know, I'm going to tell people, look, you know, I'm at a place in my life where, you know, pleasure is really important to me. And, you know, some days I'm going to have a slice of pie. And some days, like in my case, I'm going to eat French fries, although I know they're not good for me. You know, and he said, some days I drink too much. And, you know, but I'm going to suggest that people not only be concerned about longevity and health span, but also pleasure and enjoyment. Right. Absolutely. And, if, and so yeah. we got to find that balance. For me, yeah. I'm more pleasurable. For me, I've feel so much better living the lifestyle I'd live that I choose to make what other people might consider sacrifices like eating once a day because I feel so much better. Just a reminder for those of you who are going to explore the option of dry farm wines, you get an extra bottle of wine for just a penny when you go to dryfarmwines.com. I hope we've done a decent job of being very transparent in explaining the difference between pure, all-natural, organic wines, and things that are labeled here in the United States as natural wines, things that are labeled as organic wines. There's a big difference. There's also a difference in taste. For me, the first time I tasted a pure, natural, organic wine, I was like, oh, I actually like this. I don't normally like wine. But for people who are very accustomed to drinking a domestic wine, you might have a different experience, but you won't know until you try. So what's my favorite? I'm the kind of person who I fall in love with one type of drink and that's all that I want and everything else sounds gross until I'm sick of that. And at the moment, even though I love trying new wines and new champagnes, I'm at the moment obsessed with a champagne that I get from them that's called Cava. Our entire box is all Cava champagnes. I love having an extra bottle on hand if we're going to someone's house and to bring it as a 
kind of a healthier alternative and introduce people to this other way that they can enjoy an adult beverage and not have a hangover. It's not for everybody. There are those people who love a really thick, very sugar-laden, even if it's not sweet. Some of those wines that don't taste sweet, they taste dry, are still loaded with sugars, loaded with preservatives and sulfates. And that, some people acquire a certain taste for that. They just do. Part of the problem with the food system and drink, if you will, is that our palate is exposed to things that are just so unnatural that we then think it's normal. It's like that person who's able to kick their soda habit, like drinking soda becomes an acquired taste and water tastes disgusting to you. But then once you kick the soda habit, drinking a Coke loaded with sugar just sounds like the most disgusting thing in the world. So there is something to be said about having an acquired taste for things that are all natural and pure. And if that's something you would like to try, don't forget to use the code. This is my affiliate code. It does earn you an extra bottle for a penny. It's dryfarmwines.com forward slash Shaleen. All right, let's finish up. I don't drink during the daytime, but okay. I do drink at night. Interesting. And so, you know, we have to have indulgent pleasure along the way as well. It's part of living. It's part of being human. Well, if you look at centurions, I mean, that's the one thing that they all seem to have in common is a level of happiness. And, you know, there's a lot to say about that, about community. You know, everyone has that story of their uncle who lived to be 99 years old and ate bacon every day and, you know, drank every night and, and, right. and smoked cigarettes, you know. Right. We've all had these stories where it's like, and then there's the guy who lived his life with pristine diet and- Dropped dead of a heart attack every- at 50. Well, fortunately, we can prevent a lot of that just through being proactive and body scanning and looking for these problems and stress testing, you know, so we can avoid these tools are available out there for you to tell you exactly the condition of your heart. Well, you know, what we don't have yet is a way to, to accurately track happiness. And I I think that has a lot to do with longevity. It does. I I recommend a bottle a day for that, a bottle of natural (laughs) wines for happiness. On that note... On that note, that's awesome. Well, thank you again, Todd, for joining us. And I, I just appreciate your candor and, and the mission that you're on. And thank you so much because I absolutely, I'm in love, in love with your sparkling wines. Oh, great. Nice. Changed my boxes out. That's what we go for. And just a treat to have you here. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this show, please don't forget to make sure you are subscribed and following along. The Shalene Show is available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and most every podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell us specifically what you enjoyed. We'd love to know. The Shalene Show is released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. For Tuesdays and Thursdays, be sure to follow and subscribe to Shalene's other podcast, Build Your Tribe, which she co-hosts with her son, Brock Johnson. It's all about business, social media, and marketing, and devoted to helping you make more money and live more life. Links to anything referenced in today's episode, as well as show sponsors and other podcasts, can be found below in our show notes. 